Welcome to another great episode of the Midlife Makeover Show live on Instagram. These shows are unedited, uncensored, and unbelievably good. I would love it if you joined us on Instagram when we go live with awesome guests and great topics. Just follow me on Instagram at Wendy Valentine or the Midlife Makeover Show and click on the live shows tab on my profile. I hope to see you there. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show live on Instagram. I hope you are having a great day wherever you are in this world. I decided to wear this yellow shirt to brighten the day because I'm here in Chicago where it's gray and it's snowing, you guys. It's snowing. But the cool thing is, and let's see, one, two, three, four more days, I will be in Spain for my big 5-0 birthday. I cannot wait. Y'all make sure you watch my stories because I promise you I'm going to have some good stuff on there. Anyways, today's guest is awesome. He is actually on the other side of the world. Let's see, today is Tuesday for me, but for our guest, it's Wednesday. How crazy is that? Okay. Anyways, uh, our guest today is Ollie Wood. You heard me right. Hollywood, like as in Hollywood. No, his name is Oliver Wood. Ollie is the owner and head coach at Body Reset, focused on elevating your energy, body, and mind. He has coached thousands of clients with a world-class coaching team, including clinical nutritionists, mindset coaches, and exercise professionals to elevate your entire approach to mental and physical health. Love it. Today, we are going to discuss ways to incorporate health into your life. So important, you guys. How to reduce, how to reduce stress. That's right. <laughs> to reduce stress. It's great when you can laugh at yourself, you know. Where to start if you feel you have no time. The importance of gut health. What to do if your body is slowing down. That happens a lot at midlife, right? And why calorie counting is not the full picture. Okay. I'm going to stop rambling and bring Hollywood onto the stage. <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome. Oh, lovely to be here. Thank you. Uh, once we work out cameras and audio and all of the stuff, I, I think it would quite well. <laughs> I know. It's so crazy. Think about all this technology that brings us together. I think it's awesome. And Absolutely. Across the pond, as we said before. <laughs> and if I, if I lose like my train of thought or I just, it's because I'm, I'm listening to your accent. <laughs> right. I had, it's better than the Australian one, right? I hope so. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I love it. Uh, I had a guy in here recently, Dan Mangena, and he was from England. And I was just like, oh, you guys have the coolest accents. Do we sound funny to you, though? Well, you, American movies are everywhere, right? So it becomes a, a normal accent that you're very familiar with. Whereas if you get someone from you know Ireland or UK or something along the lines, it becomes more unique. So I think it's yeah. a novelty component as well. I probably sound a little vanilla, a little like plain <laughs> Midwest accent, you know. But I can't do lots of accents. I can sound like I'm from Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not going to attempt it. (laughs) Yeah, don't. It's too tough. So tell everyone a little bit more uh, of how you got into doing what you're doing. Yeah, for me, uh, you know, this has been kind of an involved journey. It wasn't like an aha moment. Everything shifted. It's very much been a 
realizing that I needed to be a sponge in order to learn what I needed to learn. And mm-hmm. as you've just gone through with the sort of collection of mindset, nutrition, training, you know, all of those are 10 year paths by himself, right? So taking the time to actually, rather than just be a generalist and actually make real change in that space, it became one, an understanding of building a foundation of those areas, being able to communicate that in a way that felt uh, congruent, felt logical, felt like it would actually work in the real world, plus actually having the depth of knowledge, which takes 10 years in every degree just to learn, you know, every one of those areas, uh, became, you know, quite a journey for me. So for me, I started off, you know, I live down here in New Zealand. I, I grew up in a pretty small town mm-hmm. and very much grew in a sort of farm environment uh, with real foods, you know, working on the farm. Generally, there was the whole work hard, play hard, um, you know, eat well and do it again tomorrow, right? And mm-hmm. I think that space of just allowing the body to work well and nourishing the body and supporting the body through that process and just the the continual conversation around, like, you've got a big day tomorrow, let's make sure that you're fueling that. And I mm-hmm. think as we started to go through, you know, I moved into, I actually went to uni for a, for a commerce or business degree, but found myself back in a personal training space, uh, just obsessing around exercise. I'd already been at a pretty high level in triathlons and rowing. Uh, but as I dove in and realized that everyone was not treating their body like an athlete, right? They were pushing for 12 hours a day, 20 hours mm-hmm. a day, and seeing that, you know, it didn't matter how hard they trained in the gym, they just weren't getting the results from the work they were putting in, right? right. They're getting this amount of stress and inflammation that it makes it impossible to get more out of the workout. And if, in many cases, we're just burning the candle from both ends. So right. that really forced me to, to get to where we are today, which is just allowing for a more integrated approach to health, knowing that like there was such a small aspect that I was looking at through making sure they were sweating in the gym and looking at how could they really show up as the whole human they wanted to be. How how do we make sure their body's not holding them back? So mm. I think a big part of that is trying to make sure that, you know, just the exercise alone is like 5% of the puzzle, right? And we talk yeah. about ratios and everything, um, you know, you can't outwork a bad diet, and that's very true. But if we're not looking at the health of the person overall, we're not taking the time to repair your gut, make sure that we're aware of what's happening with hormones, especially if we're in this transition of our mid-40s and 50s, uh, it's going to be something that, you know, we, we say a lot, if you don't fix your gut first, it's like starting the race with a unicycle instead of a Ferrari, right? right it's yeah. taking the time to look at that through the lens of what we absorb, what we can recover from. Do we actually have the energy drive motivation to move forward there? That's not just psychological. There's a direct connection from gut to brain, we all know, but it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. So understanding what we digest is going to make a difference to our drive. How we think about certain things and our associations with even foods it's going to have a huge impact on how we absorb those foods as well, right? So yep. all of these integrations and correlations that made it so much more than just talking about training separately to nutrition is something that really made a big difference. So that's kind of how we got to where we are today. You know, we've worked with uh, thousands of clients in the last couple of years. We've got an incredible team, and it's very much an integration of making sure the whole way through that approach, we are considering each one of those factors. Because first, it comes down to, yeah, are we doing the basic things of looking after ourselves and adding in habits to our morning routine? They're simple. They're not easy, right? How right. are we making sure that we start with us in the morning? Once we move through from there, it's taking the time. Well, is our body on our side, right? Are we mm-hmm. diving deeper and understanding what's happening with what we call health anchors, right? So especially through menopause, you're very aware of things like sex hormones adjusting and, and yeah. the, not just the decline, but obviously the fluctuations that cause havoc in certain areas. Yeah. That's one that we're going to look at next. But if we look at liver, we're looking at gut, we're looking at just stress overall and how our body tolerates that, now we can start to work with a human that actually feels like it's it's repairing, it's recovering, it's it's tolerating what we're throwing at it. 
And I think when we're working with a space where we feel that we're forcing the body to change the whole time, that's a, a key consideration we need to take into account. And, you know, if we dive in the space of menopause or simply perimenopause, mm-hmm. where a lot of these transitions are happening, that already becomes more and more important, right? Yeah. So we're just trying to look at that full component of before we even start the stuff you think you need to do, we need to get your body to a point where it's actually healthy. So that's been a long-winded way, hopefully, of, of answering your question, but the general development and progression of how we approach it now. I'm impressed that you knew what perimenopause was. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest with you, before this show, I and I'm a woman, and I didn't know what perimenopause was. So I'm so impressed with that. But yes, I mean, male or female, there's so much going on with our bodies. So, so really, I mean, you're looking at it holistically, which is how yeah. we should. I think sometimes we look at or just what we're eating or just what we're doing at the gym or just our daily lives or just our habits. And it's really a, a very holistic approach to everything, right? So how do you simplify that for someone? Yeah, well, for, for many of us, we think it's calories in, calories out, right? Just mm-hmm. play the game, right? Yep. And I think it's if someone's saying that they're 90% right and they're 100% wrong because they're not looking at who are we working with and what are they actually tolerating? Because if I uh, have a banana, how I absorb that is very different how you absorb that, how I tolerate that, how I utilize it, all of that stuff. So taking the time, as we talked about, with that consideration of actually repairing your body, getting that metabolic rate in a healthy space first, before we even have that conversation is really important. And then once we have that conversation, we're in a much better space because we're looking at our emotional uh, awareness and relationship with food. We're looking Mm -hmm. at our stress tolerance and knowing that that's not a level but a threshold. Are we pushing the body a bit too hard or do we need a bit more challenge in our life? Because both are important, right? Right. We don't get a plane off the ground without a bit of resistance from the air. Mm -hmm. And I think it's finding that balance between the two. So looking at that and trying to simplify down to where you start, I think first comes from the approach of how you start. Unfortunately, and I understand why, but unfortunately, most people only start in health once things get bad enough, right? Yes, the dog, right. And then, right? I'm moaning about it, but until it gets uncomfortable enough, I'm not going to make a change. Right. So inherently from the very start, we've been motivated by, by pain, right? Mm. So the, the thing that frustrates me the most, and I was in that category, yeah. is you, know, you need to be disciplined. I loved exercise. I didn't need to be disciplined. I look forward to it. Yeah. Right? But if you're someone that's started to see your body shift, you haven't had to worry about it for years, if not decades, mm-hmm. and now you're forced to actually pay attention to it, that's a huge discipline game in comparison to what I had to deal with, right? Right. So I think that was something that, for me, hit me like a brick, um, you know, t- probably about five to ten years ago now. But it was like, huh, this is not the same game. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, just getting them to love exercise because that's nothing, something that's never been an association before. Right. So coming back to starting from pain, right? For many of us, I'd say 80% of us finally get into the health space because it comes from a place of I need to change. I want myself to feel better. I want to lead or be a role model for the people around me. And I want to look good in the process. So the problem is, is most people follow the diet, follow the quick fix. We know that in four to six weeks, we can make some sort of change yep. to getting out of the current pain level that I am now. The problem is, is that because it's motivated out of pain, as soon as I start feeling good again, I fall back in the hole because I've got no more motivation, right? So that's where we start with the idea of it's something you get to do, you don't have to do. And I think that's something that Mm, it's easy to say again. I love that. It's something that you do it it for you, not to you. Mm -hmm. And especially when we dive, you know, we can tie this back to perimenopause and menopause the whole way through is support, don't force. Because if you're forcing your body to change, the amount of women we've worked with that are you know, doing all the hip classes, doing the extra runs after work, starving themselves, and their body just does not change. This is the significant shift that comes through. And it does come from 
mentally shifting support not first for force try take the time to look at doing it for you not to you mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully that's the approach you're after but it's no longer like you need to have this one superfood it's like think about how you're approaching it in the first instance so you can keep the results long term well yeah it's taking more of a proactive approach rather than reactive and it's just yeah. i mean we're we're creatures of habit whether good habits or bad habits but like i'm so glad that you said that because a lot of people were like there's, and here we are, we're approaching the first of the year and everyone's like, Ooh, new year's resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to start going to the gym. And the gyms are always packed in the first two weeks of January. And then at the end of January, you're like, Oh, there they all go. Because yeah. either they're just like not committed, they're not motivated. So how do you get someone motivated to be healthy and to take care of their bodies, their mind, everything. Yeah. I think the big one is there's a personal standard to it. And I think, as you know, like if you go into the gym, you do one workout, you come home and if you're disappointed that you don't have abs, you know, that's kind of silly, right? Like it's going to take some time to make the changes moving forward sometimes. Um, But when we look at that through the lens of what we're doing is we, we tend to be setting a mountain before we've taken the first step, right? Mm -hmm. So an example we use all the time is the reason you can't find time to exercise is because you're trying to find an hour and a half. If I asked you to just find 10 minutes, would you find it? You'd find it everywhere, all right? So for us, it's really taking the time to break it down. And, you know, we can dive into this a lot from a real behavioral change standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the kind of tiny habits approach, but taking the time to look at just build those small wins, build some congruency. I think the, the one word it really comes back to is confidence, right? If mm-hmm. we don't get the results in four weeks, we don't feel confident. We don't feel like we're doing the right thing. We doubt ourselves and it just becomes easier not to do it. We'll try again next year. So the big thing is trying to make sure that we're breaking down the habit, whatever it is, to make sure it's something we can successfully do, you know, a couple of weeks in a row mm-hmm. to feel that we're doing that ourselves because confidence is ultimately keeping the word we said, you know, keeping the word to ourselves, right? doing the thing we said we would do. So taking the time to look at it through that lens, don't start with trying to run a marathon every day. Even if you did it once, which well done, you yeah. won't be able to do it again. All right. So just find a way to the hardest part is, you know, and, and it's still, you know, a conversation we have regularly. I'm, I'm assuming both of us, you know, train relatively regularly. Uh, 50% of the time, we don't really feel like exercising. It's the, <laughs> I know I'm going to feel better after this or just right. get your thumb out the door, you yeah. know, and that's an approach that we will always face. And that's where this becomes a routine, not a habit. It does need to become conscious. But I think the first part is if I'm getting out the door to just go for a 10-minute walk, Ollie, just get it done, mm-hmm. rather than like, oh, I've got another hour and a half to go. I've got so many other things I can do. Now nah, I'm going to do it tomorrow, right? Just, right? It's a subtle shift, but it makes all the difference in making sure we can build that momentum and build that internal confidence that would actually last long term. Yeah, the small wins, I think, are even more – Like it's more about the the quantity of those small wins than just having one big win. and then Because then you do kind of give up because it's so much. So just, yeah, yeah just doing those that. little things. Yeah, you can see that through getting ready for a big event, right? Mm-hmm. A marathon, a bodybuilding show, uh, whatever, right? If you make this this big, massive event, uh, you know, you've got so much motivation drive up until that point. And then mm-hmm. as soon as the competition or race or whatever is out the way, you get into that sort of post-competition blues. And I've been there before. But I think a, a big point that even, you know, so the big part there is not requiring a big, massive goal in order to get you motivated. Right. It's how can you tip away every day to actually have that internal drive. Right. But the second part there that I think coming back to, you glossed over, but I think it's an important part of, mm-hmm. is with the habit-building process, with the confidence-building process, is actually that celebration. And yeah. this is something that you can logically think about all the other stuff is the mm-hmm. one that I just glossed over for all, you know, everything. Yeah. And 
I've got a photo uh, of me on stage after winning all of the classes for a bodybuilding show, and I was sat there just full, like, flat face, like, yep, cool, job done, yeah. next one. You know? And I was like, Ollie, yeah. come on, like, here's the celebration. And I think that's a really, really big part of making sure you can do this long term. It's like, well done, you know, yeah, like, everything's exactly. good, yeah. you build this stuff on, like, good stuff. And I think just looking at that lens in the small wins and realizing, like, hey, you went for a 10-minute walk today, good stuff. You could have just gone straight into work. Or you didn't drive straight into into work and get, in, get it started. You you drove five minutes west and you took the time to walk to work. Those little things can be all you need to do to just do something for you and do it more consistently. And the important part of you doing it again is a positive association with that task. Yes. So celebrating it. Yeah. And going back to something you said about the the stress that you can put on your body of either, you know, we all like, Oh, okay, let me do this workout for a workout, a diet or something for a few weeks to get into this bathing suit. I'm going on vacation, something like that. And then try it just, it stresses your body out. It stresses your mind out trying to, you know, okay, I'm going to do this marathon in three weeks. Like, okay, let's, let's not do that because the stress alone can affect your hormones can actually put mm-hmm. on more weight and then it reverses what you're really trying to do. So I think it's about just approaching it in a very calm way of, of loving your body and, and also just finding what works for your body specifically. Cause not, it's not the same for everyone. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And, and you can still do the big things, right? I right. think the, uh, with, I'm training one bloke at the moment for a uh, 24 hour pull-up challenge, uh, like Guinness world record stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, but, <laughs> You know, ninety nine percent of the time, it's it's how do I feel better every day in, in, right. in normal life. But the approach, I think, is similar, which is self compassionate people are more resilient, right? If you're mm. constantly beating yourself up the whole way, yes, you're going to feel defeated. You're going to feel like life's getting on top of you. But if you're your own best friend, if you're having those internal support conversations, not mm-hmm. beating up, the result is significantly different. So I, I love that quote. I didn't come from it. I didn't get from it personally. Um, I believe it was from one of our mindset coaches, but I've heard it around a couple of times now is yeah, self-compassionate and more resilient. And if you can take the time to look at it, yeah, I think it's a good place to start. And it just shifts your your personality because what we, or your driver, because for most, uh, I've had plenty of conversations where people are incredibly fit, but they're actually causing more stress to their body, not because of the amount of activities they're doing, but because Mm -hmm. why they're doing it, i.e. they're running away from pain. They're running away from that conversation with their wife or their partner whatever that might be, mm. your husband, right? Taking the time to look at that through that lens of how do we do this for us? Again, not to us. Yes. How do we make sure that we are improving our life by doing this thing rather than just shifting addictions? And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of different aspects there that just allow this to become more of a compassionate conversation rather than a, a self-hate or a have-to or a, this must-change or a forceful thing. Right. And that's where I think long-term change actually sticks. And hopefully if people you know, can solidify this in November mm-hmm. and December before they get to January, they will likely shift their approach because they are compassionate around how much they yeah. can achieve right now rather than what they have to achieve, what they need to do, what their body can't do. Um, so I think it starts there. Yeah, we can be so tough on ourselves. <laughs> like, yeah. That's one thing I learned about meditation is like really 
listening to that inner voice. And when I got quiet, that voice got louder. I was like, oh my God, I'm so mean to myself. But my life really changed in so many ways, physically, mentally, spiritually. When I really tapped into that voice, I was like, no, we are not going to talk to ourselves that way. So I'm glad you said that because it is how compassionate and how loving you are to yourself can really make a huge difference on how you eat, what you put into your body, how you treat your body, how you celebrate yourself, everything. I think that all starts with how you love yourself and how do you talk and how you talk to yourself. 100%. Yeah, you got to yeah. be your own best friend because no one else will yeah. be. And I think taking the time yeah. to uh, check in with those thoughts, right? It, mm. From a personal training standpoint, I was aware of that relatively quickly. I can be as as world-class as possible with exercise, but if I'm not asking how do you feel, mm-hmm. I don't know anything, right? So. Right. I need to know that the person in front of me is being some level of self, being aware of what's actually happening individually, what's happening physically, emotionally, all of these things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember the first time I sort of dive into this with a client and they were like, shit, you mean I need to think of the gym now too? Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, and it becomes a it, kind of a meditative approach because you are taking the time to tune in. And if you've just had a big day where you're running around, you're doing all the deadlines and projects and meetings and stuff, mm-hmm. it becomes so easy to become this, this stress ball that it just becomes easier to separate mind and body. And I think that's where these things start to become a bit more challenging. So I, I was sort of known as someone who would, you know, if someone came through the door, you know, stressed and like, right, I'm ready to exercise, we'd walk back outside and go for a walk around the block or I'd give her, her or him my headphones and do a five-minute meditation in the corner. Mm-hmm. Because until we got their state in the right space to actually tune in, mm-hmm. they were just lifting things around and just, you know, not listening to what's happening. And, you know, the likelihood of injury goes up, the contractile ability goes down, uh, they're just not aware of what's happening overall. So even from an effective exercise standpoint, that's going to tie into your mental state mm-hmm. all day long as well. So do you provide one-on-one coaching? Yeah. So okay. for us, we, we, uh, we're very much in a, in a one-to-one setting where we actually walk through that whole process because we want to make sure it's as custom as possible. We'll be diving into blood work. We'll dive into that lifestyle element, okay. you know, the, the perfect, Nutrition plan is is not going to be perfect unless it actually fits into your day. So that's a conversation that needs to be had, you know, one to one with a with a client the whole way through. And that was really where you know the progression of the company overall was uh, it really needed to go online. Right, mm-hmm. it was very limited by what I could do in a gym setting. So as we built that online and we were able to integrate the nutritionist and the mindset and all of this into one space, we allowed this to be a, a component that allowed this whole team to integrate the approach together. So there's a group element that I, we, we discussed in our, our community last week that I think is crucial. Mm-hmm. And it came back to a story that I heard or an interview I heard a couple weeks ago was a guy who lost 200 pounds, right? So over here, mm. it's like nearly 100 kilos. Wow. That's a lot of weight. And the motto he had on his mirror was, I'm, I needed to kill the person in the mirror or I needed to kill oh. the past identity in there. And that felt, you know, it feels really severe. It feels really like, um, it feels like a lot, but it was mm-hmm. a really key aspect of an identity shift. And in order for me to become the new person, I need to remove the old person. Yes. And taking the time to look through that, I think it's important to have a community aspect as well. I think females uh, tend to uh, immerse themselves in this space quicker, mm-hmm. but I think they need to be more intentional about the spaces they do so because they tend to be part of so many different communities that they don't realize the the little behavioral habits that are coming through from so many others, right? So mm. when we look at it through the lens of, Becoming a surfer isn't doesn't happen by wearing the t-shirt. It becomes a, a way of immersing yourself in that space, knowing yes. the lingo, being part of the community, getting on the waves, being part of that world. 
And I think that's a huge part of why we integrate one one group together is to make sure that we are becoming that new version of ourselves. And to do that, there's a level of osmosis required. Who are the people in this space? Who are the people I'm looking up to? What are the new normals that they believe are true that I don't? And when we shift those beliefs and we start to question our current beliefs that are actually holding us back, mm. those are the intangible aspects that are really getting in the way, right? We can logically know what to eat all day. We need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. And taking the time to look at that from an environmental scope is usually how that is done. Oh, I love that you said that. I'm actually in the process of writing a book. And today I was yep. uh, working on a chapter and it's about the statue of David and mm-hmm. how Michelangelo, um, I think I'm trying to remember the quote, when they asked him, how did you you know, create the statue of David from this 20 foot block of marble, basically envisioned this angel and he chipped away at everything that it was not. So it makes me think about like when you want to become this new version of you, you have to chip away at the things that are not serving you, whatever that is. It yeah. could be your your thoughts, your beliefs, your relationships, the foods that you're eating. Sometimes it's your job. There's so much, but you have to grab that chisel and you do have to start chiseling away that is not serving you so that because it's blocking you from becoming that person that you want to become. So I think that's so cool that you said that. And and I even think about too with where I'm at now and how I got through a lot of trauma and drama in my life a few years ago. And the biggest thing that I did was to step into the shoes of the woman that I wanted to become. I didn't I didn't wait for to become that woman. I became her in that moment. I acted yeah. as though, you know, like, okay, I'm gonna this is how I'm going to think and this is how I'm going to speak. This is how I'm going to be. So I'm so glad that you said that because I think it's so important to leave that person. Not It, it served you and it's, it, it's time, right? In your history, in your past, but you have to, in order to move forward in your future, you've got to start looking towards the future of who you want to be. Totally. And we can look yeah. at that through a really simple lens of, you know, what used to work is no longer working, right? You're beating your body up and your body's not shifting, right? You're doing all the exercise, you're trying to force yourself to eat a certain way, you're not enjoying it, or this diet's supposed to work, but it's not working. That's the, that's the original lens to look through is, is this serving you any longer? Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a whole new biology that we're looking at. How do we make sure that we shift that forward? So if we look at the nutrition tank training, we can look at it through that lens, but this whole other conversation we're having on top of the mindset required to make those shifts and to yeah. be able to be flexible in the approach. The one thing that I think is really important, and this comes back to your question of you know, how do we approach this moving into January? How do we approach this uh, from a health standpoint to make sure it lasts mm-hmm. is be locked in on the goal, be flexible in the approach. And what I mean by that is if the goal is locked in as I have to run every day, you may achieve it. But once you do, you realize that your knees hurt, you kind of feel a bit rough and you're not as motivated to run every day. Yeah. The goal really was that I wanted to feel great in my own skin. I wanted to look good in my own clothes. I wanted to you know, show up if feeling like I had the energy to really own the day. Mm-hmm. Now, if I made that the goal, a feeling, how I want to feel, what that looks like every single day, I can be a pro- I can be flexible on the approach. It could be running, it could be weight training, it could be swimming, it could simply be going for a walk every day with my girls, right? Taking mm-hmm. the time to look at that is a significant adjustment in how you're going to achieve that long term. And uh, you know, I've been through quite a few surgeries uh, on the shoulder mm. and, and oh. you know, having to rebuild plenty of times that we can talk about. Uh, but that really was the solidifying that for me because you know I thought it worked it all out. And as we all know, every time we get to that point. 
generally, if we're listening, uh, something whacks us in the face and shows us, boy, like pay attention to this. And right. that really shifted my approach to how do I make sure I do this regardless of the adversities, the busyness, the life that's thrown my way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important part of making sure we do this long term. It's right back to the, the discipline aspect, right? It's right. not like it's a, you need to be disciplined because look, I've enjoyed exercise or I look I've, at some point I've enjoyed exercise to look forward to doing it. And I think that's a key part that not everyone has. So starting from that place of what I actually want to feel like, how do I solidify that as an emotional pull? Because if it's just logically, I want to lose 10 kilos because my doctor told me I can log- logically talk myself out of that. That's not, that's not going to happen mm-hmm. long term. But if I emotionally anchor that as something that really pulls me to something I want to feel and look like, that's something that's actually going to last a little longer. Yeah. I can remember Tony Robbins saying that, um, like if you had this chocolate cake in front of you, how would you feel, you know, after you eat the chocolate cake, you're going to be like, Oh my gosh. But then how would you feel if you didn't, if you were like, you know what? No, I'm not going to eat that. So I always think about that too. Even, even today I, I did, um, some indoor cycling for 45 minutes and I was like, Oh, I really don't have time for this right now. And I was like, wait a minute, how am I going to feel? after I do it. Um, and of course I felt so good. I was like, I did it. I made the time for it. I was like, okay, small win, pat on the back. So I think it's so important, you know, to really focus on how you feel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How much, um, do you think, well, foods, how much does that play a part in the, well, the, specifically what foods you eat? I think it has a huge impact. Uh, and I think taking the time to look at it in different lens, I think if we to bring it back to simple focus points that uh, we can all take away from it, I think it would simply be count colors, not calories. is a really good place to start from an awareness standpoint to remove the stress and, and allow the conversation of compassion to come through. Mm. It comes right back to the support, not force, right? If I'm giving myself that variety, that color, that nutrients, and we're taking the time to play, allow micronutrients to play as much of a role as macronutrients, we allow the body to actually function well, right? We're fueling mm. the body properly. So I think looking at that first is really important. But looking at what foods actually make us feel sluggish, change over time, right? And I think mm. many, many people, especially as they're exposed to more stress through the day, especially if they're going through significant hormonal shifts, if we're seeing that things like estrogen and tanking, that's going to have a huge impact on insulin sensitivity, right? So mm-hmm. all that means is your ability to tolerate sugars, carbohydrates. Now, carbohydrates are never the enemy, and I think they can be hugely helpful at calming the nervous system recovery and all of these benefits that come through. But taking the time to look at timing of nutrients through the day, what type of nutrients and foods feel best, if you're noticing that you're having a bowl of oats for breakfast, and that used to be fine when you're in your 20s, but yeah. now it just makes you feel sluggish all day, and you're requiring three more coffees to function, that might be something that you look at is rather than having the fourth coffee, adjust what's happening for breakfast. Right. And that's a huge part of, again, tuning in, taking the time to look at what's happening. So looking at micronutrients as being as beneficial, and then taking the time to potentially adjust nutrients, but it's never demonizing carbs as being the problem, or fats, or proteins, or whatever. It's taking the time to look at what foods are you really fitting best on and breaking it down into, you know, calories not, well, from a calorie is a calorie from a metric standpoint, but every carb is obviously not created equal. And if you're fueling a morning on lollies versus, um, you know, some sort of uh, pasta or oats or yeah. a long grain rice, they're all going to respond very differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even where you place that food in the day. So one, one example I'll give to many people is uh, many of us are walking around kind of like the, the fuel tanker, right? We've got all this fuel in the back, but we're not able to utilize it, right? We still have right. to, to park up at the fuel station, pick up something to eat to actually keep going through that day. 
what that tells us is that we're actually very metabolically inflexible. We can't use both carbs and fats as fuel. And when that happens, that's when we have these dips and dives through the day. So if that's mm-hmm. you, if that's something that you struggle with, then rather than saying, ah, oh, it's my hormones, I need to fix that, look at the foods you're eating through that day and what can you adjust? Right. A good place to start is what happened if we took carbohydrates out of your morning breakfast and focused on the utilization of that through a calming mechanism at night, right? Big shift to what we're all told because mm-hmm. you know, carbs are energy and you know, no carbs after six and all of these rules that are thrown out there. But what do you really feel best on? Because although I'm giving that to you as a suggestion, I'm giving it to you as a suggestion to try and experiment what feels best with your body. Yeah. So it's a timing aspect and 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 also a feeling aspect of what you feel best on. Mm-hmm. If we start with that, I think you're in a much better spot because you're no longer confining yourself into vegetarian or keto or whatever. Right. Yeah. What we these plan? What you feel best on? Right. And I think it's key then to become mindful throughout your day. I mean, I know for me, like the foods that work for me and the foods that don't. And just like you said, like there's, there's foods I probably ate in my twenties that didn't affect me. And now it's like, or even vice versa, you know? So that's really important. So the blood work, I know you mentioned that. So you do blood work in the beginning. Blood work is very much a snapshot time, right? So Mm -hmm. what's happening right now. And I think when you understand who you're talking to, you've got an awareness of symptoms, you've got an awareness of feelings first, Mm -hmm. And then you tie a blood work element into it. Already you're getting quite a comprehensive picture because you're tying the two together. And I think that's an important point is most people are looking at just feelings. How are you feeling? Or we're looking at it just through blood work. Again, integrate the two, right? Mm-hmm. Taking the time to feel and understand what that feeling means. But then once we actually look at the blood work, there's a significant difference between normal medical range and what we actually looked at as optimal. And when we have that discussion, we can actually look at that through a nutritional and environmental lens to understand how we can, again, support the body through that process to make sure we're feeling as good as we can. Because, you know, some of these ranges, let's use, I'm going to use male testosterone because it's the easiest one to sort of explain, is we are working with a normal range. And over the last 70 to 100 years, that range of what's normal has declined rapidly. So even though we're seeing testosterone levels that are coming through significantly lower than what they should be, it's considered normal, right? Mm. Now we're seeing a lot of people prescribe depression medications and other medications that are saying, oh, this is the actual real problem, rather than being able to identify, like if we allowed your body to function better, we allowed these hormones, Mm. these uh, certain uh, toxins to be addressed, whatever, to really rebuild that tissue and make sure the body is actually working with you, a lot of these physical and mental resistances or stresses or uh, you know obstacles would actually feel like they are supported and they're getting better. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, it's never a case of we can fix everything for good. If there's a chronic illness coming through, then it's more of a supporting process. But the big part that is becoming a really worrying space, especially in the US, and it's starting to trickle down in Australia and New Zealand, is we're getting so good at fixing acute issues, right? Yeah. The antibiotics are life-saving for certain diseases that are coming through. But if we're taking them four, five, six times in a row, we're absolutely decimating our gut, right? Yep. We're kind of going from the Amazon rainforest to the desert, and there's nothing left in our gut to actually rebuild and fight off normal day-to-day toxins. When that happens, so many of these chronic issues become more and more prominent because we don't have the uh, bacterial ability or diversity of, and, and strength of our gut to actually mm. resist some of these these toxins and, and uh, you know particles coming through. So mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of why we look at blood work is we allow the client or the the member to 
feel more in control of what's actually happening because we're allowing them to be part of the process and understanding how nutritional and environmental things make a difference. Whereas, you know, inside of a medical scope, I'm not going to demonize them all day. That's not mm-hmm. that's not in their scope. They don't learn about nutrition. Yeah. Um, some of them start to and they're they're, you know, they're getting I think slowly they're getting better, but the traditional medical model does not include nutritional and environmental elements. And they certainly don't have the time in a 15 minute conversation to actually go through that whole process. So for us, we're trying to really fill the gap that we're seeing between health and fitness and just taking the time to really rebuild that tissue, rebuild the body as a whole so that we're in a position that your body actually feels like it's 20 again. It feels like it's absorbing mm-hmm. foods. It's recovering. You're sleeping. You're focused through the day, right? All of right. that comes back to looking at the full picture. Yeah, I know for me, the biggest things that have made a difference, um, it is the foods that I eat and then also yeah. good sleep. Uh, that makes a huge difference for me throughout the day. I mean, just tiny, again, tiny wins and tiny shifts throughout the day, it makes a huge difference for me. Yeah. Um, so do you find your typical client, do they come with you because they want to lose weight or because they want to get in super duper great shape or because of chronic illness or all of the above? Yeah, for us, we very much uh, specify uh, working with clients that are in a career driven slash business space, right? They know that there is, you know, they're tackling the stresses at home and, and, you know, trying to live their best life there, but there's always a driver. There are they're, as I was talking to someone the other day, they're a ladder climber or they're, uh, they're trying to really build to the next rung in the business space, right? And they're noticing that now it's no longer just impacting how they feel personally and at, at home with their family, but it's actually getting in the way of that drive, that focus, that, yeah. that confidence at work as well. And I think that's a space that I can resonate with really well after you know owning a company for nearly a decade <laughs> is taking the time to understand the stress that comes with that. And as you mentioned before, as uh, your conversation on the spin bike is there's always more to do, right? And if you're mm-hmm. the business owner or the manager or the leader in that role, it always falls on you. And there's so much press, pressure that if you are not proactively looking after you and the, the space you need to be in to lead at your best, then that's definitely going to have a huge impact, uh, mm-hmm. both physically and emotionally. So that's very much a space we work with. If you're in your mid 40s or 50s and you're starting to see those shifts, and how your body's operating, it's really starting to make you question everything around how your body used to work. Mm-hmm. That's generally the space that we start to work with clients. And there's two things that tend to happen. One, they've drawn the line in the sand, right? This is as far as it gets. I right. don't want to allow them to just figure it out for another couple of years. I don't want to just try another couple of diets and feel like it's a short-term thing. I want to actually create something that's actually going to work long-term. Right. And then the second part is making sure that I'm going to make sure that this is a lifestyle. This is a, a way of how I'm going to improve my performance at work, but I'm also going to allow myself to realign health as being a priority. And priority is a word that I'm very resistant to use because it's usually a, we tend to use time against us, but we can very much realize that we all have the same time. It's taking the time to be aware that to be truly productive, you know, busy and productive are are very separate, Mm -hmm. but it's not by getting more things done in every minute. It's by allowing yourself to give yourself time for the things you say you will. All right. So there's a whole conversation to have there, but we need to be ready to make that change because in a co-active coaching model where we are working together to reach a result, something I learned the hard way is I can't want it more than you. Right. Mm -hmm. So being able to make sure that that drive motivation is intrinsic, that is something I can work with. That's then something I can harness and really help you become unstoppable long term. But I think when we tie it to all of these motivations and drivers that I really understand at a deep level, we're usually working with a a member that I can resonate with on a very high level. I love it. You're so wise. 
you've really like, I think you started out by saying everything that you've had to learn just to get where you're at. And it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's, I, I think the only, there's two things that it comes down to. First one is I started off in a rowing space and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I just, you know, I had to be the best of the best right away, just a competitive thing. Uh, and for me, I found that, you know, I was sleeping in classes. I was trying to catch up. You know, there was mm-hmm. always another rowing uh, training around the corner. And one of my teachers said, you realize you get to do this. You don't have to. And mm. I was like, oh, don't tell me that. I've suffered away. And I'm choosing this. Uh, and I think that, you know, coming back to a big conversation that's been the focus today, that's very much been um, the, the intentionality behind what we do. And I think many of us, you know, I talked to someone the other day, uh, my biggest competitor to you working with us is not some other company. There's no mm. one that does what we do. My biggest competitor is indecision, inaction. You're not doing anything, mm. right? So I think it's very much that choice component. And I've just take, took, taken the time to be very conscious and intentional around, I can be busy and you know, a headless chuck all day, but if I'm not being intentional about what makes this an effective day, what's the one thing I need to get done today? Right. I think that was the first part. And then two is realizing that I knew very, very little from an early age. And I do think that came from a, 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 an athletic background, but quickly mm-hmm. became a business setting where I spent hundreds of, hundreds of thousands in a business coaching space now in admitting that I don't know everything and that mm-hmm. if I am able to buy with money instead of time, I'm going to get there a lot quicker and I'm going to miss or learn from a lot of other people's lessons rather than my own. And I just understood that calculation very early. Am I going to pay in money or am I going to pay in time? Right. Uh, and I think when I was able to look at that in a different light, it just became an investment in me. And when I tied it back to the first one, which is I'm choosing to do this and it's something I actually really, really want to do rather yeah. than just falling into it, I think those two became a very powerful mix. I love that. You you get to do this, but you don't, like, it's not that you have to do it. You get to do it. Yeah. I mean, we're only here for a very short period of time in this grand universe. And I think about that a lot, actually. It's like, I, I mean, I remind myself when I have days where I'm overwhelmed and, oh my gosh, I have to go to the store or I have to work or I have to, like, no, I get to. I'm breathing yeah. and I actually get to do all this stuff. And the same thing, it's like, this is our only body that we get. And you have to take care of your body if you, to, for it to carry you through life. So I think it's so important. Yeah. I was just going to scroll back through to see if anyone, do y'all have any questions? I saw a couple of them here. Um, oh, uh, here's one. Uh, could you talk to these stressors in life and anxiety and how that affects the body, even when one is doing the right things? Physically, good question. Mm, yeah, I like it. Yeah. So, what we mentioned before, uh, so many different ways to go with this. The big one that I think I would use as an overall topic would be mm-hmm. stress is not a level but a threshold, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's something that you can elevate through being intentional, or it's something that will be decreased through not being intentional. So, when we look, at, if we're going to look at this through just the exercise lens, I think it's an important one to give you an example of how this ties into both psychological and how it ties into digestive as well. So I'll just use one category. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing is we all know that, you know, de-stressing, uh, I think, is a common area that people say is required to be more healthy, all right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to some degree. If we are stressed out for 10 hours a day. Our, our bodies are not made to be stressed out for that amount of time. We're going to be breaking down tissue. We're going to be increasing fat storage. We're going to be increasing all these infl- inflammatory markers in our body. And it's generally not a good idea, right? So there's going to be a lot of reasons that that is helpful. So grounding, meditating, breathing, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, yeah, I'll give you an example. 
three to five breaths before every meal. Hmm. If nothing else can drastically improve your digestion in that meal itself, because you're actually controlling your state rather than just diving straight in, you know, huffing and puffing from when you've just finished work, or you've just got off a call, <laughs> that's the thing, right? And so many people, including me, we, we go from work to on our phone, we'll go to the food and we'll start eating. We've never actually looked at the damn thing, right? <laughs> so making the adjustment in yeah. conscious tuning in and just those subtle pauses through the day, I think make a huge difference because you're controlling your state. And if nothing else, that's going to drastically improve your digestion. Mm -hmm. To give you an idea, if you're in a stress state, you're pulling all of your, or 80% of your blood towards your limbs, right? Your arms and legs, it's that classic fight or flight response. That's your stress response. If you're allowing yourself to actually adjust that state into a rest and digest, a calmer state through simply five to 10 breaths or three to five breaths, we're in a position where we're actually able to pull that blood back to the digestive tract, which means not only do we uh, break down the food better, we can actually absorb it into our bloodstream. We can actually extract the energy from the foods we're eating. Yep. So if you feel that foods are sitting in your gut, if you feel that you're no longer getting energy off the foods you're eating, you're having that 2 or 3 p.m. slump, that's something to address, right? Mm -hmm. And it starts to look at how much that physical, psychological, and digestive elements, being your three stresses, is something that you can very much utilize or harness by understanding how the body works. Mm -hmm. So as an example, I think that makes a huge difference. Coming back to the exercise analogy, which I was going to use, was when we look at it through the lens of exercise, stress is not a level but a threshold. So if we're taking the time to just exercise every day and we realize that it's draining our energy, we're feeling flatter than we did before, we're feeling more run down, isn't that really beneficial? Well, unless you're an advanced athlete getting ready for a type of marathon run, right. I don't think it's required in every day in regards to how to get exercise to actually benefit you on a day-to-day -day space. Mm -hmm. So the, a study was done quite recently and it's being emulated a couple of times. I don't use studies a lot because they can be shifted in every direction, but this one was quite yeah. good and has been emulated, which was... These, these mice that were in a, a depressed state, uh, usually they, they put them on a little mouse holiday and they, you know, they change, uh, they see how, how much better they're feeling or there's a drug trial or whatever. What they did is these, these, these mice, what they put is they exposed them to five minutes of actually you know, high-level stress per day, right? Mm -hmm. So depression was caused through a low-level stress that got them to this state. Once they, you know, usually the, the thought process is, okay, once they've got to this point, they're pretty burnt out, they're not tolerating things, they're showing these depressive symptoms coming through, I'm going to give them a little mouse holiday. Instead, what mm -hmm. they did is they gave them five minutes of intense stress per day. What, what happened is it actually reversed all of the depressive symptoms that was coming through because they ultimately what they concluded from the study was that it was a massive discrepancy between the high-level stress that they were actually exposed to and the low-level stress that was coming through every day. Mm. Now, if you, and I'm sure you've already done this, is how do you correlate this back to your own day, right? We've right. got these little stresses that are happening every single day. But if they start to, if we're not looking after ourselves, we're not sleeping as well, we're not fueling the day as well, mm -hmm. we're not taking the time to be proactive about our health, those little stresses add up, right? And then that threshold drops, right? We just don't tolerate it nearly as well. So what are those little things that you're doing in your day that are enough to improve your tolerance to stress? It could be a cold shower. It could be a hit training. It could be mm -hmm. a spin bike. It could be your weight training, right? Those mm -hmm. tend to be the best options that we can look at to actually improve our tolerance of stress. And when we do that, that threshold goes up, right? right? So I think taking the time to look at that uh, hopefully answered the question, but it's looking at through the lens of stresses and how you can utilize that or how it's going to break you. It really comes back down to, you know, the plane analogy, right? We need resistance against the wings to get the plane off the ground. But if it's a hurricane, it's not going to be so helpful. 
So it's just modulating that and finding your sweet spot for you personally. Yeah, so it's, it's probably a little bit of a trial and error, right? You kind of figure out, let me try this and see if that works. Okay, that didn't do it. And then let me try this and see if that works. And again, different for everyone, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. there's a there's an element there where again, you you know, are you spending time where you're spending money? You know, mm-hmm. are you going to work with people that know where you're starting and what changes you need to make, or you're going to spend five years trying to figure it out? Right. The second part of that is when you're looking at it through the lens of um, what type of stress you're doing. I think many of us lean towards what we feel is more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. So we do the endurance events, we do the longer runs, we we. And usually that's really good for our mental health, right? I think going for a long run is probably the best way to get your your you know your endorphins up and feel yeah. good. But what's that doing to you physically? And and I want to keep this conversation really tied back to menopause and and hormonal shifts or seeing your body not respond like it used to. Mm-hmm. That's the question that we need to ask all day: is our body's not tolerating it anymore? We're not responding the same way. Right. It's just not feeling the same way. So leaning into what's allowing us to feel good long-term rather than what we've always done, I think is a good way to look at it. But Mm -hmm. the overarching goal here is we all know that we need to sift through the 99% to find the 1% that's actually accurate information. But you're not done there, right? Once you find what's accurate, you now need to find what's relevant because what worked for you and what was accurate at 20 versus 45 or 55 is very, very different, right? Right. So taking the time to look at that through that lens and find what's not just accurate but relevant now you know where to start, what order to do things in. There's typically where we come in, we'd make that change for you. But it, very much, you need to tune into you. You need to know what feels good mm-hmm. rather than just mindlessly following a plan that expects, you know, this change in this amount of time. Nice. Good advice. Uh, someone did ask, where was it? I'm, I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Where is it? It was Social Shannon. He said, I think it was something about, where did it go? Something about cryotherapy? Where is it? Oh, yeah. Thoughts on cryo, he said. Thank you, Social Shannon. Yeah, I think it's an effective, you know, a lot of these are components of uh, recovery, mm-hmm. whether it's a sauna, which is going the other way with heat, uh, and especially the red light therapy, I think could be really beneficial in harnessing light to your ability, both um, being aware of how much artificial light you're exposed to and mm-hmm. also the uh, the benefits of something like red light therapy can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Cryo's in the same category, right? I think it's a really effective anti- anti-inflammatory. I think it's still very new. There's still a lot of studies coming around about how effective it truly is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you've also got to be aware of what mechanism are you looking for because just because it's good for health, again, what's accurate and then what's relevant. Right. If you're a, an athlete that is uh, doing a six-month uh, build or muscle build for a competition, mm-hmm. and then doing cryo or a sauna even post-weight training might not actually be the best step for you because it's actually anti-inflammatory. And after mm. training, again, we're coming back to the stress response, it's not good or bad. It's just to have what degree. So if it's coming through as a as a reducing inflammation post-workout, you might actually be reducing the, the response or the stimulus to the response in the workout you've just had. So you've just right. limited the amount of results you're going to get from the workout. But if you're in the middle of a tournament and you've got game after game, you know, five games over a couple of weeks, then something like cryo can be fantastic because it's yeah. reducing that inflammation and improving your recovery straight away because you don't really need the stimulus to rebuild tissue. You just need to get back on the field as quickly as possible. Yeah. So, again, that's where the accuracy comes yeah. through. Again, it's a great tool. And it, I, hopefully the overarching method or thought process is more important. I've actually done cryotherapy. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I had, I had gone to a seminar when I was in California and I was, I had like awful, um, just tension headache. And, and so yep. I went and it was amazing, but yeah, I, I can see it's probably not for everybody, but, and that's, what's key, right? It's having a customized plan. 
Yeah, well, hopefully I haven't confused you there, but like no, if you're doing exactly post-training, not yeah. helpful, but if it's separate to training and it's a recovery tool because you're not feeling great mm-hmm. and it's allowing you to elevate these, um, the sort of energy, you're elevating your your immune response, all of these things to feel better quickly, then that, right. that generally sounds like a tool that you're utilizing well, you know, and I right. think that's where that conversation needs to be had as well. So yeah, it sounds like you guys really get to know the client so they can in essence, know themselves. So then totally. they, they become really their own doctor, their own physician, their own trainer. Like, okay, this works for me. So yeah, that is so cool. So well, that's what becomes a, that's what you use to become coactive, right? If it's just right. me telling you what to do the whole time, yeah. are you learning anything? But if I'm having yeah. a conversation about learning from you to find out what we should do, as well as you're learning from me, that's a beautiful model. And when we look at it through a lens of, okay, we're trying to get you healthy, but what does healthy look like? Mm-hmm. Because there's a big difference between longevity, um, uh, performance. Uh, so the, the, the words we use is lifespan, health span, and performance span, right? They're three mm-hmm. very different things. And I think we're, it's very much a space right now uh, that we're seeing come through a ton around what are we looking at to, be, to live as long as possible. Right. But then it's, it's contradicting to how do we perform as well as possible, right? And it's trying to find that balance of all three. Well, what are you truly after and how do we swing it more towards what you're truly training for? Right. Uh, And I think it's an important conversation for everyone on the call is that should be something that you're assessing for yourself, not just once, but generally quite regularly. Like, is this actually towards the goal I'm having? Because if I'm told I need to have a lot of protein or that I need to train more or that, you know, sleep's not as important or whatever it is, right? Like, one is it. Is it accurate and then is it relevant for my goal? And mm-hmm. I think it's just a nice way to break it down and give yourself a mental framework to think through as well. Right. I mean, not everybody wants a six-pack of abs. <laughs> I mean, even ex- even your 20s, like maybe you wanted that and then you're in your 50s or 60s. It's not that important to you anymore. It's probably more so it's like, I just want to be able to live until I'm 100 or whatever the age is, right? I yeah. found, I'm sure you know about the blue zones, right? Yeah, and I, I I thought it was so interesting that one of the things they all had in common, the centurions of living past 100, is that none of them, like, they didn't belong to a gym, but they were all active, which mm-hmm. that's a huge difference. And I think that's, for a lot of us, it's just, just be active. Just like you said, go for a walk, go do something. You don't have to necessarily join a gym to be healthy. Social Shannon says he wants it all. <laughs> he wants the six pack. He wants it all. <laughs> and I think it's uh, you know the one of the phrases I use a lot is I train for my mental health and my physical is a byproduct. And I think that allows for me personally that allows me to have uh, a nice order in regards of why I'm going. Right, like mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little stressed out or I'm not being as productive or whatever's happening. I'm going to go exercise. Right. That to me personally works quite well. If you asked me ten years ago and I was. You know, doing bodybuilding shows and getting down three percent body fat, still two hundred and thirty odd pounds on stage. You know that was very physical, right? Yeah. Um, but I was always uh, very intentional around the process and and being in, in tune with my body, even if mm-hmm. I was suffering, uh, as opposed to it being an external goal and that's all that matters. And I think mm-hmm. if we really tie this back, this might be a bit of a tangent, but the reason most people struggle with goals long term is because they have more outcome goals than action goals. And when we can balance them back, them out so that we can tick off the action goals as we go and we can build up momentum and that internal confidence because we're doing the things we said we would, right. I think that's what allows us to make it happen long term as well and enjoy the benefits, get those abs and anything else we're looking for. Yes, yes. I'm after the abs, after my vacation. Yes. 
<laughs> after I go to Spain. Uh, let me see if there's any other questions. Oh, Jose, thank you so much. He bought a badge. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, what do you oh, ma'am, I want to see you in body shape. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Your fitness. Ma'am, I want to see you in body shape. Okay. <laughs> well, so where can we find you? Yeah, uh, this is a really good conversation, Wendy. Thanks so much for, for um, uh, jumping on with me and, yeah. and uh, or inviting me. Um, you know, if this is something you want to dive deeper into, uh, you know, hopefully what we've gone through today is the mindset behind how do we make this happen long term. I think it's hopefully going to serve you regardless. Mm-hmm. But if you want more actionable advice around what are the exact habits I should start with for my age and stage of life, if you're in mid- mid-40s and 50s and you want to know what to start with, uh, we've got a free five-day challenge on our website and on my Instagram if you want to check that oh, out. Nice. Um, and I think that'd be an amazing way to start. It's a full free challenge. It walks you through a full five-day series around exactly what those steps look like. You can absolutely use that more than five days, but it's introducing you to common steps that you can use every day. And the core mentor we use around that is if you can't do it every day, don't do it for one. So it's really tying in these steps to really rebuild your morning, build some momentum through that day. And if it's free, you know it's going to allow you to get access to the learnings and thought process we've already used with thousands of clients to actually fast track where you've done. So if that helps, then that can be where you start, either on our Instagram at HollywoodNZ or on our website, bodyreset.online. Nice. And I'll put that in the caption and show notes too. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? No, I just, I, th- I think there's a really cool conversation. Yeah. I think we went all the direction that I wish we did. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that, you know, I'd love to, love to jump on today and, and hopefully for everyone that was watching as well, they found that valuable as well. Love the accent. <laughs> <laughs> and so now you're starting Wednesday, aren't you? Yep. We're just, just about to That's dive into crazy. team calls start the day. It's just nine o'clock. Yeah. You're just way ahead of us. <laughs> He's already on to Wednesday. <laughs> your future, Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us and y'all have a great day. Bye. Yeah. Awesome. See you guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another great episode of the Midlife Makeover Show live on Instagram. Before we part ways, just a few quick reminders of how you and I can connect outside of this fabulous show. Number one. Join the Midlife Makeover Club. It's our private Facebook community for all things related to midlife, relationships, health, mindset, and more. You will receive episode updates, interview clips of the show, Instagram live videos, wise words from Wendy, and of course, some wacky words from Wendy. Basically, anything to help you live, love, and laugh through midlife. Just go to themidlifemakeoverclub.com and request to join. We would love to have you. Number two, join us for the next Instagram live show. The cool thing about IG lives is that you can meet new guests and ask questions live on the show. How cool is that? Just follow me on Instagram at Wendy Valentine or the Midlife Makeover Show and click on live shows on my profile. Number three, check out my Midlife Makeover Method online course available at midlifemakeovermethod.com. In this fabulous four-week online course presented by your hostess of the Midlife Mostess, you will embark on an awesome journey of transformation. I will help you discover your number one wish, uncover your why, and get you taking action towards creating a life you love. Over four weeks, we will go through four phases of seed to flight. You will walk away with a midlife metamorphosis.